Well, Baptist World Aid, I have been here once before, actually, when Garth was um, the interim pastor before Alex and Andrea started here. And since that time, I don't know if any of you remember, we've had a bit of a makeover, uh, which is very new, actually, and it's much more colorful than the past. And I, I love it because it speaks of the fact that even though the world is in a terrible mess at the moment, and I think we'd all agree with that, we believe in a God that has never given up on his creation and he doesn't give up on us, his people. And so we are actually bringers of hope. And our new colorful look expresses that, that we are actually people of hope. And we've got a little, a very short video for you to watch about our new look. Thank you, Ashley. Some things are basic for life. To feel safe and healthy. To have food and water. Work and respect. To see a better future. A hope for all people and our planet. But when pandemics push almost a billion people into poverty. When people can't find food and water is far. When jobs are eliminated and workers abused, then some things need to be seen and changed. If you see a world where families have enough to eat and communities rise from poverty, where workers are treated with dignity and God's people gather and pray, then you see the world as God intends. You see a better world. For all people. So do we. for the world you want to see. Join us today. Isn't that a great message? To dream of a better world in the mess that we're currently in. God has not given up on his creation. So um, just to quickly run you through what else Baptist World Aid does, we do disaster and emergency relief currently at work in Ukraine, Afghanistan, Myanmar, and the COVID-19 appeal is still open. We also do refugee aid, working extensively in Lebanon, which last year had the 10th anniversary of the Syrian refugee crisis there, and amongst the Rohingya people who fled out of Bangladesh. We're also well known for our advocacy work, uh, both internationally and within Australia. So this is our chocolate, looking at the chocolate industry, the ethical fashion guide, which I've got at the table at the back, uh, making sure that we're making choices here that are not impacting 
on other people's lives. And so we're all about creating this better world. And we find that through that, as we saw with Meng's story, people want to know, why are you doing this? And they come to faith. So this morning in the message, I'd like to investigate, well, why are we doing this? Why bother with people living in far off nations? And I'm going to read to you a um, very well-known passage of scripture from Luke 10, um, beginning at verses 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And you all know that Jesus went on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And at the end of that story, he said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So in fact, it was Jesus really that made famous the words, love your neighbor as yourself. But of course, he was quoting from the law, from Leviticus. It first appears in the, the scripture in Leviticus 19.18 and is known as the golden rule. But the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, there's no doubt about it, completely harmonize with God's heart for the poor and the vulnerable. I didn't know until I started working for Baptist World Aid that there is a whopping in excess of 2,000 scriptures about God's heart of concern for the needy and the vulnerable. So, for example, in Psalm 89, verse 14, we read that the very foundation of God's throne is justice and righteousness, if you can imagine that in your mind's eye. So, justice is a really, really big deal. When God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, his intent was that they would become a community of love, loving God first with all their heart, mind, and soul. And that would translate into loving each other, love your neighbor. And that's what the whole law pointed towards, in fact. And a bit like the film we just saw from Cambodia, the ancient Israelites were small-scale farmers. Uh, most families had their own small plot of land. They'd grow enough food for themselves to feed their own animals and so on, make their own clothes, build their own homes. It was an economy of just enoughness, each farm producing just enough for the family. People living within their means day by day, week by week, subsistence farming as we would know it. But when a bad crop came along, sudden illness or death in the family, theft or a run of bad weather, it would threaten people's livelihoods. And this is what we see so much of in the world today. And then people end up without enough. And so in this context that God had set up, the idea was that people would be dependent upon each other and the generous love and help of their neighbors to pr practically help during difficult times. The community was to pull together. And if people had just obeyed God's word and observed the true nature of the law and what it was encouraging them to do, 
there would have been sufficient for everybody. But God's design all those centuries ago was actually to prevent what we see in the world today, which is a pyramid shape of society with a very few people at the top, which is getting worse and worse, actually, who have a huge amount of money going down to the bottom, which is the vast majority of people in the world who still really don't know where their next meal is coming from. God's plan in the law was to prevent that from happening. But of course, the tragedy of Old Testament history is that people didn't listen. They didn't do it God's way. They chose to do it their own way. And hey, what's new? We're still doing things our own way. Not much has changed through the centuries. And so we have ended up now with a Western culture, which is very, very caught up with um, our own ideals and living a self-focused life. Consumerism is the word that we could use, which actually, when you begin to investigate it, as Baptist World Aid does, so much of what we're wearing, what we're eating, is actually coming at the exploitation of the poorest of the poor. But our culture says to us the more possessions that we have and the more experiences, the more travel we do and all of that, that's going to give you a more satisfied life. And marketing starts very young. It's, it's, it's aimed at our children, heavily promoting out-and-out materialism, telling us that more and more stuff is what's going to make us happy. So instead of answering God's call to invest in other people and to love our neighbor as ourselves, we so easily end up investing in ourselves and doing everything to live this culture that our life, our, our culture actually tells us, that's okay. You should do that. And for Christians, and I'm really including myself in this, it's so hard to live counterculturally because we are bombarded by this message everywhere you look. And the most heavily marketed group of all is what they call the tweenies, just before you become a teenager, is most heavily marketed because they want to get kids in young. When we think of Jesus um, affirming that what the teacher of the law said was right, love your neighbor as yourself, here we have a man in the Lord Jesus who didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. So for the three years of his ministry, we see, we read about it in the scriptures that he treated disabled people with respect. He was kind to women and children, which was countercultural in the day. He showed patience and kindness with the perceived sinners because he was on a mission to bring the kingdom of God and to make things right, to heal the sick, to restore people, to set the captives free and to reach out to the poor and vulnerable. They mattered to him. And this is what we could call the shalom of Jesus that flowed through him, rivers of living water. And when we are in Christ, we are invited to get in on this for those rivers of living water to flow through us. And the early church, we see it in the book of Acts, they really grappled with, well, how do we actually do this? How do we walk as Jesus did? And so we see them sharing what they had. And when there was a problem with some a group of widows, they weren't being looked after adequately, they acted. They did something about it. They didn't just push it under the carpet. They made sure it was addressed. 
I was talking recently to a friend of mine. She's not a Christian. She works for local council in Vic Park, actually. And she said she works in parks and gardens. Since the start of the pandemic, the number of people sleeping rough in parks and gardens, actually not that far from here, has absolutely exploded because of COVID. So it's not just overseas where people are struggling. It's here in Australia as well. And she expressed to me how heartbreaking it is to go into the parks in the morning and see so many people there. Here's a very confronting passage from 1 John 2 verses 3 to 6. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Ouch. That's very challenging, isn't it? I find that incredibly challenging. What did Jesus model for us? Forgiveness, kindness, mercy, grace, extreme generosity with his resources, meaning his time, and so on as well. And it's how we are called to live. Check this out in a COVID season. Many historians believe that central to the rise of Christianity in the early centuries was the early Christians' willingness to love one another and love their neighbors as themselves. They placed a huge emphasis on that. So in AD 251, around that time, a huge plague struck the Greco-Roman world and fear engulfed people. Well, we've all been through that recently. People fled to the countryside. The priests left the temples. They were empty. The streets were full of people who were infected because their families had thrown them out. Um, but the Christian communities took a different view and a different approach, and they saw it as their responsibility to take these dying people into their own homes, and they nursed them, obviously at tremendous risk to themselves. And this action meant that many people who recovered, who actually otherwise would have died. And this striking um, commitment to generous love made a huge impression on people and saw this explosion in Christianity. Now, the Roman Emperor Julian, who lived at the same time as this plague, he despised the early church. He couldn't stand the Christians. But this is what he wrote about them. As children are coaxed with cake, so have these Christians enticed the poor to join them by kindness. Strangers they've secured by hospitality, by affecting brotherly love, great moral purity, and honoring their dead. They've won the multitude. I mean, he's not happy, Jan, but what a testimony to the lives of the early Christians and the transforming power of loving your neighbor as yourself. And this is actually what we were born for. We were born to love God first and foremost, and then because we're made in the image of a loving God to love one another. And this is why I'm so excited about the church family at Bentley, at the, at the youth group, um, Take, you know, because you're practically outworking your faith by joining with this community project in Cam Cambodia. And as the clip showed, you are bringers of hope to people in a transforming way. And I think living through COVID as we are, it's really a faith growing era. It's an opportunity for Christians. You know, faith is a bit like a muscle. 
uh, muscles atrophy if we don't use them. But if you go to the gym and you work out, they get bigger. And I think our faith is like that. We actually have to start living out what we're called to do. Um, when I came to visit the youth group a couple of weeks ago, we actually had the chance the kids played a simulation game, imagining that they were working in a garment-producing fa factory in Cambodia. And it was a great night. And one of the kids um, said, because the game illustrates how it's really tough, long hours, it's unsafe and unreasonable working conditions, it's low pay with the women learn earning considerably less than the men. And we had a break during the game where the kids had an opportunity to discuss. And out of the, one of the young lads said, well, this, if this is what it's really like, I'm glad it's them and it's not me. Isn't that honest? I love that because actually, yes, I'm glad it's them and not me as well, to be quite honest. So garment workers, of which there are about 50 million across Southeast Asia, many in Cambodia, um, the pandemic's been a disaster for them. Huge amount of wages has been lost because people have been uh, laid off. And the ones that are continuing work are in unsafe and overcrowded working conditions. And the existing systems that people like Baptist World Aid have set up so hard, worked so hard to so that you can make a complaint, which didn't exist before, all those systems have been disrupted by the pandemic. So it's been a dangerous time for people. And as always, like I said before, we love to tell stories. Well, this girl, Rani, um, she's the same age as my daughter, actually. She's 28. So this, I found this very impacting. She and her sister normally work 12 hours a day in a factory, um, actually in Dhaka in Bangladesh. That's become 14 hours because they have to spend an hour at each end of the day cleaning the factory. But she's not paid overtime. In fact, her salary's been cut. She's gone from Australian equivalent of $120 a month, and it's dropped down to $71 a month, even though they're working longer hours. And her and her sister can no longer pay their rent, and the landlord keeps throwing, threatening to throw them out. So our partners are working with her, obviously. But, you know, that story is being repeated all over the place at the moment. But what Baptist World Aid experiences, just like those early Christians, is that when we reach out to people in non-patronizing, dignified ways, people actually sit up and take notice. I myself, before the pandemic, vi vis visited Nepal, where we do a lot of work. And as you'll know, it's a Hindu nation. And um, we got to meet with a group of, of people from a community where the work was just finishing and they were Dalit people, which is the lowest of the caste systems. And when you've had untouchable, worthless, useless spoken over you, it's so powerful when our Christian partners who are local people come in and they're prepared to work with you, to train you. And not just that, they're prepared to touch you and interact with you like a normal person. Well, it's powerful. And a few decades ago, there were something like seven Christian churches in um Nepal, sorry, a decade ago, and now there are over 500. So this work is like we saw in Ukmeng's story. It is a way that people come to Christ. And this is the opportunity that actually that we all have as Christians to join with the Holy Spirit, to follow his leading and to be bringers of hope in our own communities as well as overseas. And this is the grace and the joy that we saw in the Lord Jesus's life. Um, also, just another story from Lebanon, where I've just mentioned before, 
was last year marked the 10th year of the refugee crisis with Syrians. This is a refugee camp here, which has been there for a decade. My um, uh, One of my colleagues visited there, and he actually grew up in extreme poverty himself in the Philippines. And so uh, he said as he went into this camp, it's a Muslim camp, with a group of Christians. Interestingly, this, this group of Christians uh, from a church in Lebanon that were, had a, a decade ago, they had a building project. They were collecting money, as many churches do, to extend their building. When the Syrian refugees started arriving, they dropped the building project. They've never built because all their money goes into reaching out to these people. And I haven't got time to tell you now, but the stories <laughs> coming are amazing. And Marbs, my colleague who grew up in the Philippines, said, walking into that camp with these Christians, he has never experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was completely overwhelming as they entered the camp together. See, God turns up when there's extreme suffering because that's what Christ did as well. So thank you again, Bentley Baptist Church, for joining with us in this incredible world, um, trying to create the world that God has always intended, a better world for all. And so maybe this morning you feel convicted to make some changes in your own day-to-day life, uh, perhaps you sense that maybe you've succumbed. It's so easy to do it to the whole consumerist culture that we're just absolutely embedded in. Um, maybe it's caused you to think about a neighbor that's having a tough time that you could reach out to. Or perhaps you'd like to join us as a Better World ambassador or sponsor a child through Baptist World Aid. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But um, do be aware as you look around in your own life, your own workplace, your own school, what is God calling you to do? Because he calls each one of us, his people. That's the way he works. There's no plan B. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I want to thank you for that group of Baptists that actually 61 years ago started work in a garage in Sydney. So passionate were they after the end of the Second World War to see restoration in the world, your restoration, Lord God. And so I thank you for this work that continues, and I thank you for Bentley Baptist Church who are joining us. And I do pray that this work would bear much fruit um, in improving people's lives, creating a better world for all, but also bearing incredible fruit for your kingdom, Lord, that people would come to know and love you. So we thank you for this time, and uh, we do worship you again this morning, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.